Well, happy Valentine's Day. And as we conclude the Loving Well podcast series, we wanted to share how you can love your spouse well for years to come. In fact, here are just a few ways that couples have built lasting marriages. One thing that's helped my marriage is that we love to laugh together. We laugh all the time and we enjoy each other's company. I think my advice for a strong and lasting marriage is pretty simple. Keep lines of communication open, talk to each other. That goes a long way to solving conflict. My husband and I have been married just over 38 years. Um, there are times when we kind of lose track and we have to remind ourselves, okay, what are we in this for? And it always comes back to we're committed to each other above anything else. Well, I'm John Fuller, and welcome to our final episode in the Loving Well podcast series. We have Dr. Greg Smalley and Aaron Smalley in the studio, and our topic today is keeping your marriage strong through the years. And the question is, how do we do that, Greg and Aaron? How do we keep from kind of stagnating as the years go by and instead be growing together? I think it's important that we do two things. One is that we need to continue to grow as individuals. I think a lot of times when we're talking about marriage, we forget that 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 God sent his son to die for us as individuals, not for marriage. And, and our job is to continue to grow more like Christ. And so I think it's important within a marriage that that we deal with our stuff, that we continue to understand God's calling on mm-hmm. our life. What are we dreaming about? One of the things that Aaron and I love to do is to ask each other, you know, what's on your bucket list? And you know what are what are these things you want to do before you die? Okay, so what what's an example? I mean, if you don't mind, what is one thing from either of you uh, on a bucket list? Well, it's changed over the years. It used to be run a marathon, but hmm. <laughs> I just want to drive twenty six miles. <laughs> yeah, I think that's more it today. Maybe a half marathon. <laughs> well, one of the things we talk about though is wanting to go to the Holy Lands. Hmm. So it's something that that we've never done. We both kind of said that, and so I think mm-hmm. it's something. That we're going to do together. But it gives yeah. you, what the point is, that gives you something to work with that you can ask each other about, talk about, kind of a common currency. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And as individuals, we have these dreams and desires that have been planted in our heart, but also as a couple, we have that. So we not only need to be healthy individuals, because two whole healthy individuals are going to make up a healthy marriage, but we need to continue to grow as a couple and and not get stagnant in our relationship. You know, continue to date, you know, go on a marriage retreat, read a new marriage book, listen to a marriage podcast series together. You know, there's just ways that we can invest in our marriage and continue to do that over the years. Okay. And right now we're going to hear from Dr. David Clark, who has some great ideas for uh, keeping that passion in place and uh, learning to work together uh, in all of life, but he's going to especially address the romantic aspects of marriage. And Dr. Clark is a licensed psychologist. He's written over a dozen books about marriage. He's been a very popular Focus on the Family broadcast guest. Here he is now talking with Jim Daly and me about rekindling the romance in your marriage. Let's look at the Song of Solomon. Uh, a lot of people talk about that book as being an extremely sensuous book. Uh, you can read it in a lot of different ways, but it is pretty explicit. Yeah, boy. And uh, talk to us about what was going on there with Solomon. Solomon and Shulamit, this is the story of uh, really the greatest love story, I think, in the world. And God has preserved it for the Bible, so we know he wants us to understand it and apply the principles. This is the story of their courtship, dating, just getting to you know each other the king and this maiden, 
and then the story of the early years of their marriage. But it's clear from the context, and when you study the book carefully, it is really supposed to be their entire married life. These principles can apply with an entire marriage, not just for the first couple of years. A guy wouldn't have wasted his time uh, talking about a marriage like that because everybody's got it then. You know, infatuated, love you, uh, crazy about you. Well, okay, we already have that down, so it's really supposed to continue a lifetime. Solomon did not keep up what he was doing. He did not stay with the principles, and so he lost it, and he started having other women, and of course the concubines, the other marriages. Now here, he had it right. This was his first woman, and the best woman, and so this was doing it the right way before all the other stuff happened. Now David, I gotta put you on the spot a bit. You're talking about the Song of Solomon, and I've read that many times, and there's many very obvious statements in the Song of Solomon that get right to the point. But there's some in there that I want to hear your Hebrew expertise when it comes to things like your hair is like a flock of goats. Well, see, ba- back in the day, 3,000 years ago, oh, she was swooning. Are you kidding? Flock of goats? <laughs> because back in the day, you know, there, there were these hills in, in, in the Palestine area, in, uh, in the Middle East, and, and they had flocks of goats that just flocked around. And, and if you can imagine, now in this case, it was, it was dark here because she's a dark, dark-haired woman. Uh, several hundred goats just streaming down the side of a mountain, down the side of the hill, beautiful, flowing, the sunlight reflecting. That's what he was telling her. Mm. Your hair is absolutely fabulous. All the teasing, all the flirting this couple did, you can't even believe it. It just seems naughty, you know? I mean, actually, and, and like, whoa, you're kidding me. We can't talk about this at church or in Focus on the Family broadcast. Well, but they, and it was tasteful, but it was only between the two of them, absolutely private. In our reality world, all these terrible reality shows, they're talking about things that aren't for public consumption. It's just, that's nasty. This is just the two of them. And so they were wonderful at this. And little, you know, in, in our day, it would be a text message or an email or a phone call with your cell phone or, or writing in soap on the bathroom mirror, but a lot of positives and playfulness. You know, sexual banter is what it comes down to. What they're doing, in essence, is just thinking about the two of them giving all kinds of compliments and talking about their sexual relationship. They're really preparing to be together. Well, you gotta prepare for that. So, you know, saying, man, you, you look so hot in that top, whispering that in Sandy's ear. It's like, oh man, she's like, oh please. <laughs> the kids are here, they can't hear me. You know, <laughs> It's because I feel that way about you that we may have a fifth child. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, but listen, I mean, even as you're talking like that, we're all kind of squirming, you know? And there's people <laughs> listening on the radio that are Squirming as well. I think in the Christian community, we do have an issue with uh, appropriate boundaries, maybe inappropriate boundaries. I don't know. When we're, uh, we talk about uh, boys and girls who grow up in Christian homes, they marry as virgins. Um, then, as my wife describes it, you've got to flip this switch, and it can be hard to do. I mean, uh, one day you're not supposed to, and the next day you're really supposed to. And in your definition in the book, you're saying really go for it. I mean, kiss and hold hands and and do all the things that the Song of Solomon would encourage you to do. That can be a hard switch to flip for Christians. Why? Yes, oh, it can be. Well, we, we're very squeamish. I think the church is the exact right place to talk about sex, but it is rarely done. You might have it in a seminar format here and there, uh, but you won't hear it on Sunday morning. You won't hear it in Sunday school classes uh, or even in handouts. So it, that's wrong, I think, because we should have the corner, you know, uh, covered on sex. We've got the manual itself, the Song of Songs. So there's a squeamishness. 
And the world has, I think, infected us with that because the world does it in a nasty way. It is out front. It is awful. It it's is, God it is bless. rude. Exactly. And yeah. so that's we shy away from that. That has nothing to do with a man and a woman who are married where the sky's the limit in terms of personal banter back and forth. Um, now, some of it depends on the personalities of the couple, but you can really push the limit as long as it's completely private and just between the two of you. That is beautiful. It's wonderful. Satan wants us to focus on everyone but our spouse. The images, uh, men struggle visually. Well, we're surrounded by the images. It's pornography so easy to access, free of charge. Satan's paying that bill. We can access it if we want. And, and women are often drawn away as well with, with the children or romance novels or, or some guy that really seems like a wonderful guy compared to the stick I married. Well, if we fantasize about our partner, our spouse, now that's the way to go. All the energy in the book of Song of Songs goes to the partner, every last ounce of it sexually. And that's what we got to do. That works. You know, Dave, I've got to ask you the question. Uh, Sam, an engineer, graduated top of my class out there. And uh, you know what? I'm just not wired this way. And it sounds funny to me. I mean, I get home, dinner's ready at 6, because by 6.10, that's 10 minutes late. And being an engineer, my wife knows how to please me. How do you work with that kind of a man to say, listen, you got to break that down. Come on. It's not about numbers. I would say this is not an engineering problem, sir. Um, Although in a sense it is, and I would give the engineer a challenge. It'll be the challenge of your life. Engineers love challenges. Men love challenges. And I'll say to keep your wife feeling loved and to create passion on an ongoing basis is a phenomenal challenge, which you can do. Now, you're not made by God to do it. You're not suited by personality to do it. But you can do it. And again, if you'll follow the right principles, and it'll be awkward. I mean, the engineer will walk like Frankenstein over to his wife for the first time, trying to hold her hand or kiss her, and she'll go, ah! But it will work. It will become more and more natural. And, and I'll say, engineer, you know, God himself is going to help you. You're not going to do this alone. If he doesn't know Christ, I'll lead him to Christ right there in my office, because I can do what I want. I don't work for an agency. I don't work for the man. I am the man. But uh, I will say, we come to Christ, and then God himself, he loves your marriage. He considers it sacred and beautiful. He will help you. Yeah. And again, it's a faith issue. And the wife who sees the man beginning to try, just try, well, then she'll respond to that, and mm-hmm. that'll make it easier for him. So it won't be easy, but he can do it. Now, I'm not picking on engineers, but men just tend to be more linear and logical in right. their thinking patterns. Exactly. So that's the point I'm making there. David, uh, as we wrap up, let's recap some of the things that you would recommend to a couple that's in love, but maybe not passionately in love. So hit that for us again, where you're at with holding hands. Just some simple things that a man really should do, but women too. But what a man can initiate to demonstrate to his wife that, hey, I'm pursuing you. I would begin with creating times to talk. Most men are not good at that. The woman talks more than we do. We kind of shy away from that. The Bible's clear in the song that we, as men, are the ones that need to lead those talk times. Solomon pursued Shulamith in the area of emotional intimacy more than she pursued him in emotional intimacy. So we, it's our job. Create four 30-minute couple talk times per week. No kids, no pets, no phones, no television, no computer, where you just create talk times, and the book will go through some things you can do in those talk times. I recommend the man, men will say, well, I don't have anything to say at the end of the day. You know, wife asks me, uh, how was your day? I don't know. And the man's telling the God's truth. I got nothing here because it's gone. We're looking ahead. That's, you can't build a conversation on, on nothing, and I don't know. So carry a pad around. I'll have, I still do this to this day. I carry a pad, and when things come up during my day that I think Sandy the blonde might find interesting, I jot them down. It's only mm. for her. That way, I got something to say. Come tonight when we have our 8.30, 9 o'clock 
you know, at start time for our 30-minute couple talk time. It works like a charm. Plus, when Sandy realizes I've written things down, I've thought about her during the day, oh, she warms up beautifully. Mm. The queen is happy. Dave thought about me. So I'd pursue her in terms of that, and I would, I would begin the romantic behaviors, Jim, as you indicate. Hold her hand every chance you get. Get the car door for her. She's the queen. The queen never gets her own doors. When you get where you're going, I would have her stay in the car if she likes that and then get the door as she exits the vehicle. This is a small thing. Would it kill you to do it? No. I get the door of the restaurant, the door of your home. Watch romantic chick movies with her, sir. Oh, great. I'll tell men, yeah, these are chick movies. Guess who you married? A chick! I'm sorry. I can't help you with that. No kids invited. my, the blonde and I love the old classics because they're clean and there's no nasty language and filthy things going on uh, physically. So those can be very romantic. Candlelight dinners at home. That doesn't take much. Go out, get the food, bring it in. Kids aren't invited. Feed them hot dogs, potato chips. No one cares about them. Just get rid of them. <laughs> Put them in bed. And, and, but they know you're having a candlelight dinner. Small things like that. Love notes, for example. You give your wife a love note once a week. That will go a long way recharging her heart. I love that chick flicks. So, Aaron, you I know really like chick flicks. Well, let's see, Greg. You like to watch Hallmarks, right? Well, that's that sounds chick flickish. Yes, I'm yeah. not answering. I do you that didn't because respond. I, I do that because I know how much she loves those. Okay, it's all about her. <laughs> of course, it is. I mean, Dr. Clark had some really good examples there, and, and chick flicks was certainly one of them. What else did you hear that you liked in that? You know, one of the things that that we try to focus on is one of the things that really destroys passion. And that's when we talk about more business-like things mm-hmm. within our relationship, like to-do lists and schedules and budgets and the kids and things that if we allow those conversations to dominate our relationship, that it just gets boring. And, and that's where we lose passion. Mm-hmm. I was meeting with a couple um, a few years ago, and I encouraged them to have that deep heart talk connection like they did when they were dating. And they looked at me and they said, what would we be talking about? We, we talk about the kids mm. and the budget and the finances, our business together. And so I said, well, how about you spend some time talking about your dreams, your fears? What stresses you out? What is God teaching you? You know, and really connecting around those heart type things. Yeah, I like that. More the inner life yeah. issues that, that go on. Erin and I often reminisce about our relationship. We talk about the stories, our favorite things that have happened within our relationship. And there's something about when... When, when we just look back and go, hey, do you remember this? Mm-hmm. Or remember when, when we were on this vacation and this thing happened? There, there, there's something that ignites some really strong feelings but, when we do but that. But what happens for the couple where, let's say, the wife says, hey, remember that time? And she's trying to go there, and the husband's like, yeah, whatever, I'm moving on. What, what, what can a couple do if one spouse doesn't really follow in that interest in, in in keeping the romance going, you know, one of the things that I've that I've noticed is that when when Aaron and I do something really simple, which is we just do these little conversation starters. You can you can go online, you can search, you know, conversation starters for couples. There's something about when we've got a, a list of questions to to run through. They're really helpful. So even if maybe I'm not connecting with a certain story that Aaron is telling, mm-hmm. th- there's something about just asking each other different kinds of questions. And I can't often remember those, which is why we we literally will download, print off some of those starter questions. It just gets us, it, it just 
gets our conversations going. I've got to say, I really admire that admission because you're both professionals, you both communicate so well, and you're saying, we still need some talking points and some helps. Well, you know what's hilarious? One time we downloaded a list, and we're like, these are really good questions. And then on the bottom it said, developed by Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, you know, wonder these were so good. That's great. That's yeah, I, nice. I, I like need that. help with those. I really, I, it's yeah. hard for me to think of good, clever uh-huh. questions. And so the point being is that, whereas Aaron might really connect to a question that I'm like, yeah, I don't even want to answer that. If we have 10 or 12 sitting right there, something will pique my interest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like when she goes, what are your top five movies of all time? Ooh, now I can get into that. And that just kind of leads into other types of conversations. Okay. In the well. bottom line, asking questions, being great at asking questions is something that breeds intimacy because really you're you're trying to get to know your spouse and in not assuming that you know who they are. So asking questions is a great practice to instill in your marriage. It's a simple thing you can do. Yeah, and I'm going to add that you can find that list of conversation starters at our website along with a copy of the book by Dr. David Clark, Kiss Me Like You Mean It. Uh, that's a great resource and has more of the insights that you heard from from him just a few minutes ago. So uh, contact us and get those resources. And when you do, uh, make a generous donation to Focus on the Family. You're helping us reach families around the world and help couples. Uh, almost a million couples in the past 12 months have been helped directly because of what Focus on the Family is doing. Uh, through our broadcast, podcast, events, resources, all the things going on here. So please, uh, partner with us, make a difference. We'll actually send you a copy of Kiss Me Like You Mean It by Dr. Clark. And uh, we'll have that free list of conversation starters from Greg and Aaron. You'll find those, and you can donate at focusonthefamily.com slash lovingwell. All right, we're going to talk now about a proper attitude and how that plays a role in building a lasting marriage. We're going to hear now from Gary Thomas as he talked about what it means to cherish your spouse. Hey, let me ask you, you you heard my little intro on cherish, and it Mm -hmm. did strike me. We say that word when we do our marriage vows, but I don't know that even Gene and I, if we've ever talked about it since that day. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's your definition of cherish? I believe cherish is taking our marriages to the next level. You mentioned how all of us just about all of us pledge to love and to cherish till death do us part. We always speak about love. And when we think about love, we think about commitment and sacrifice and hanging in there. Cherish raises the bar a little bit higher. And it's interesting because when I was working on this book, I would ask women, how do you feel cherished? What makes you feel cherished? And it's like, turn over the hourglass, <laughs> get a cup of coffee because you're going to be there for a while. And I would say to guys, what makes you feel cherished? And there'd be, uh... Am I supposed to be? It almost yeah, seemed like right. it's awkward. It doesn't and, sound like a masculine word. But here's share. what I found. Be cherished. I, I, I put it in the language of a car. A lot of guys are into their cars. Here what does go. it mean to cherish your car? Well, if you cherish your car, you protect your car. You're not driving down potholes. You're, you're indulging your car. You're giving it the best wax job and, and the wash job. You think about that car, and when you do, it gives you pleasure. You want to showcase your car. You want others to see, hey, come on outside and, and see my baby. And it's kind of funny. I don't mean to insult wise. I'd say, can you treat your wife the same way you treat the favorite car you've ever had, you know, before you had to get the SUV or the minivan. But, but that, <laughs> that has that direct application. And, and I think it's so sad that we often think of cherishing things 
more than cherishing people. But the good thing, I think the good news is that cherishing is a skill that can be learned. It can be uh. practiced. We can choose to cherish. You know, infatuation comes and goes, but cherishing is something that we can build. Now, you see that cherishing happening even back to the garden. Yes. Adam and Eve. Yeah. Uh, refresh my memory. Where did you catch that moment where there was cherishing occurring? That, I believe, is the goal of a cherishing marriage. You might ask, why were Adam and Eve in paradise? Why were they so happy early on in their marriage? You could say, well, there wasn't any sin, and, and that's true. I don't think it's just because they were naked and unashamed. Some younger men might think that, but I don't think that was it. Here's what I think was a huge spiritual issue going on. When Adam first saw Eve, there was literally no one to compare her to. There was just Eve. She defined what a woman was for Adam, and Adam defined what a man was for Eve. And I often tell guys, because this is a time when guys often cherish their wives. It used to be when the bridal march started, everybody would turn around and watch the bride come in. But I've noticed that's changed. And I think the internet memes have sort of changed that. A number of people look up front at the groom's face. Right. Is he crying? What's his expression? They, they want to see that. And I've stood by a number of those men as a pastor when they're watching that bride come down the aisle. And at that moment, she's the only one she see, he sees. There are hundreds of other women in the room, other, others women. She, he is just so fixated on her. He's focused. She's the only woman in the world to him. And I said, cherishing is about making that a daily reality, not a once-in-your-lifetime experience but a daily reality. Marriage will take off when a woman hears Song of Songs 6-9 from her husband. And what my, is it? My dove, my perfect one, is the only one. Uh. Just think about it. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one. I don't want you to be anyone else. I'm never comparing you to anyone else. I love you for who you are. You are my woman, you define woman to me. And the wife saying the same thing to my husband. You are my man. You define what it is to be a man to me. That's when you really feel cherished. That's when you really feel accepted. And I think that's what Song of Songs is getting at, that cherishing attitude. First Corinthians 13 celebrates love. Song of Songs celebrates cherishing. You know, in, in many ways, uh, Gary, that can sound exhausting. The demand is so high to be able to do that. God, of course, can do that, but I'm not God. Right. I'm just somebody's husband and a friend to many. How does that person, uh, you know, see that requirement to cherish in that way and actually begin to meet that expectation? My marriage changed when God gave me a heart that took pleasure in my wife's pleasure. I think that's the Was difference. there a moment that occurred? How no. No, I, I think it was going through these scriptures. I think it's just praying about my marriage, asking God to come into my marriage. But when I got my highest fulfillment in loving her well and just sensing that, I, you know, when we talked earlier in a broadcast about a lifelong love, seeing our marriage as worship, that recognizing that that's one of the best ways I could love my heavenly father was treating him as my father-in-law and loving on his daughter. And, and I think it was sort of a corollary from that when it came down from that and just being able to realize that that's when I find the most meaning in my marriage. And so it's not, it's not a burden. It's not oppressive. It's kind of fun. It, it's a delight. It's just a change of, of mindset. And here's the thing. The lust to be appreciated, to be noticed, to be served, to be pleasured is like any other lust. It can't be satisfied. It has to be crucified. 
If you're still operating with that mindset in marriage, you can't have a spouse that can focus on you that much to satisfy the lust because you just, you're never noticed enough. You're never appreciated enough. But when you have the attitude of Romans 12, 10, outdo one another in showing honor. And say, so, okay, if I want to be a faithful believer today, I've got to outdo my spouse in showing her honor. Then if your spouse isn't honoring you, okay, this is an easier day. You're running downhill that day, not uphill. If your spouse is really spoiling you and loving on you, think, man, it's going to be hard to obey scripture today. <laughs> I've got to really up my game. And it's, it's that sense of fulfillment that comes. And, and there's just a joy that comes, I think, from aligning your heart with God's. And we've talked a lot about the relationship and how a man needs to honor and cherish his wife. How, what does that look like in the other direction? A wife cherishing her husband. Uh, what are some of those examples? Well, when the wife looks at her husband like Adam, the way I describe it is that with the day she gets married, she has a commitment to contentment. No guy has it all. You have to realize that your guy has certain strengths and he doesn't <laughs> so have start with the deficit. That's right. how we begin this. And you decide that he defines what a successful husband is for me. I'm not going to compare him to Joe. I'm not going to compare him to Frank. I'm not going to compare him to Antoine. And women, I don't think they really realize they're doing it. I was working with a young couple and he was a champion swimmer in high school. So he got attention from an Ivy League school that had him come to their school because he was willing to, to swim for them. And he had a girlfriend who now has become his wife, and she was just seeing somebody else that it was a, an actor or football player or something that was just stacked, and she just remarked about it. And he thought, man, I've got to look like that. And so he starts lifting different kinds of weights and whatnot, but that actually made him less effective as a swimmer. Because if you're a really good swimmer, you're not going to be necessarily a really good linebacker or vice versa. <laughs> I mean, a linebacker is just going to sink. And so... It's a wife blessing her husband with the realization that he can't be everything. And so when she gets married, she's making a commitment. If you're not a handyman, I'm not faulting you for not being a handyman. If, if you're not, that makes you know, me feel better. If you're not the kind of guy that enjoys two-hour soulful conversations, I'm not going to feel jealous that my girlfriend's husband, first thing he does, comes home and says, how about your day? How are you feeling? Where are things going? That you made a choice and you're trying to build on the strengths of that choice. You talk a bit about how you undo those patterns that you've been maybe into for 10 years or 20 years, or in Gene, in my case, it'd be 30 years we've been married. Yeah. And I see those things. Sometimes temperament could come into this. I could see, as I read the book and looked at the material, um, temperament, you know, one of the things for me, when I'm under pressure, my personality type, as I've tested it, I can be a verbal attacker. I mean, I will respond with verbal jabs. Right. And I could see how that doesn't play well in cherishing. So I've got to learn how to back that off and think before I speak, right? Rather than saying, man, have you looked at the house today? <laughs> uh, that would be like a verbal jab. Right. Or what's happened today? Well, see, that's why I like to present cherish as a new model of marriage. Uh, most wives don't want to know that their husbands are just willing to be committed to them. And most husbands don't want to know that their wives just put up with them. We want to be cherished. A friend of mine was driving with seven other men. And he said, how many of you feel that your wives love you? Every man raised his hand. And he said, how many of you believe that your wives like you? Every hand went down. <laughs> Those husbands felt loved. 
They didn't feel cherished. So what you're talking about is exactly where we need to go, Jim, because I, I do think that needs to be the new model. I don't want my wife just to know that I love her. I want her to feel cherished. And a lot of it comes with this mental determination that I, I'm going to display cherishing. Let me give a couple examples where I've seen it in action that it's worked really well. I got onto an elevator one time. Another married couple got in, middle-aged, and I'm in the back of the elevator, and he's standing in front of the buttons, just kind of staring at him. <laughs> so his wife says, floor nine. And you think she's just giving him a physics test. I mean, he, 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 he can't, I, I wanted to say it's between eight and 10, but that would have been me. So I just, I just and, and she just smiled. He finally found it, and she just cuddled up to him. I said, your mind is really full about that business meeting, isn't it? He goes, yeah. She goes, don't worry. It's going to come out. And, uh, you know, she could have shamed him. She could have been sarcastic. But what she did is she recognized he's doing something really important. And so that's distracting him from something that really doesn't matter. And so she chose to look at the best, not to use it as a moment to ridicule mm. him or belittle him. And I think that man walked out of the elevator feeling cherished and supported and um, encouraged. Hey, Gary, I want to speak specifically to that couple, and I don't know if it's the husband or the wife. And again, they've been married maybe 20, 30 years, and this is the rut that they have been following now. They haven't done the cherishing. Um, how would you give them hope as we sign off today? What do you say to them about changing it tonight rather than going after each other verbally? What can they do differently? Here's where I think cherishing can point to an entirely different marriage and why this mindset thing matters. I was in Winnipeg in February. I wouldn't recommend that to anyone. Yeah. You, you don't know Cole. Yeah, I think July. <laughs> you've been when you Winnipeg in, in February. I met a delightful man named Terry who had had two different marriages. Both wives died of a terrible disease. And he had heard me talk on marriage, and he just said, Gary, what you say is so true, but I want to share my story with you. He had been married to his first wife for, I think, 17 years, and she'd been fighting cancer for five years and the last seven months, around-the-clock care, just had to do everything. And when your wife gets that sick, that's all you can do. She died, and he was single for four years and then married his second wife, who would later die of cancer. But he said his second marriage was so much richer and happier than his first marriage, not because his second wife was more excellent than his first wife. Huh. He said, I knew them both well because he'd been married to both of them for almost two decades. He goes, my attitude was completely different. So it was a bit more about him than Yeah, them. I treated them like you're talking about. I treated my wife like royalty. I treated my second wife like royalty. I, I called her princess. I treated her like one. I served her. He goes, I got used to doing that with my first wife when she went through cancer and I had to do everything. And I had to do everything as a single man. So I just kept doing that for my second wife and she was so grateful and she was so happy and she thought she had you know already got a taste of heaven i didn't know that husbands acted like this but he didn't realize i didn't act like that in my first marriage but what really hit me and what i really stress is that he was adamant it's not that my second wife was more excellent than my first that's not why we had a happier marriage it's that my attitude was so different i cherished my second wife and had a much happier marriage. And so I'm saying, regardless of what your spouse does, if you cherish your spouse, I believe you're gonna have a happier marriage. Yeah. I love what Gary Thomas was talking about, cherishing your spouse, because it does have a huge impact on a marriage when you're really recognizing what you value, what you love about your spouse. It has a powerful impact on your marriage. 
Yeah, and, and Greg, um, speak to the guys who are saying, cherish sounds kind of feminine. I really don't want her to cherish me. Yeah, I, I, I don't necessarily resonate with the word either, but I love it when Erin notices the things that I do, that she appreciates when she notices these inner qualities and, and actually calls those out. The other day, I had had a tough interaction with, with our son, and, and later on, Aaron just went, man, you, you just, I just love how you handled that. You're a great dad. And, and I've, I, I felt like a dog where my tongue started coming out going, <laughs> you know, just, just going so right out So it's the same her. concept. It just plays out a little differently well, for men and women. Because often the research shows that guys will report that their their wives don't tell them what they're doing right they are so conditioned to being told what they do wrong. And so we have a powerful opportunity there as wives to really affirm and appreciate our husbands. And to do, as Gary was saying, to value above all others. That's a a great way to make sure that we don't, uh, we used that word stagnate earlier, we don't start to lose the energy and deteriorate. Yeah, and where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So whatever you value, that's where your heart is going to be. Yeah, that's something you talk about a lot, Greg. It, it, it's true. And I actually saw this play out with my parents one time. They got in this big fight. My dad was in his office kind of pouting, I assumed. I knocked on the door. I went in, and he was behind his computer. So I just assumed as he was mad and stewing and pouting, he was just looking online. I walked over just to see how he was, and, and I actually noticed that he was looking at a Word document. So he would pulled up some document on his computer, and I kid you not— at the top, my mom's name is Norma. It says, why Norma is so valuable? And, and, and it confused me. And I said, Dad, what, what is this? Oh, well, these are some things that I wrote about your mom one time. You know, just thinking about the things I love about her, my favorite things. And, well, that's, that's really cool. Why are you looking at this now? Like, aren't you guys fighting? Aren't you mad at mom? And he said, oh, I can't stand her. <laughs> and, and it was confusing. And then I, I'm telling you, John, never forget that, what he said. And he said, you know, Greg, I've just learned that when your mom and I are at a tough place, if I'm, if I'm mad at her, I make myself open up this list and I read through it. And, and what it does is it helps me to remember that you have an amazing mom mm-hmm. and I have an amazing wife. And that's why to take Cherish and make it really super practical, I think the opportunity is that we actually, like my dad did, write some of these down, put it on your computer, make a list of what you love, what you value, your favorite things about Mm -hmm. your spouse. But then take it one step further and tell your spouse what's on that list. I love when I work with couples in the therapeutic setting that I have them sit knee to knee, you know, get great eye contact, and I have them go back and forth and share one thing from their list about what they cherish about each other. And let me tell you, it just breeds intimacy. Well, John, as colleagues, we should try that sometime. I don't want to be so needed, needed me, me. but I'll be you happy to, to make a list of too. things I respect about you. <laughs> <Let's do that. laughs> and we actually have, we, yeah. we, we have a downloadable that you can do. It's called a cherish list. That, that for Valentine's Day, you could actually download this, write down yeah. some of these things that you love, yeah. give that to your spouse. What greater gift? I would love that. So uh, download it and then print it off in red ink for the day and for <laughs> be romantic that way. I like it. All right. So we're going to remind you that you can get that resource at focusonthefamily.com slash lovingwell. 
You'll also find Dr. David Clark's book, Kiss Me Like You Mean It, and uh, our Essentials of Romance Marriage Bundle. It's got a lot of great tools in there. Uh, look for that when you're at focusonthefamily.com slash lovingwell, and then donate to the ministry here of Focus on the Family. Day in, day out, for over 40 years now, we've been strengthening and saving marriages. You can be a part of the support team. Donate today. And Greg and Aaron, that kind of puts us to the end of this podcast series. Yes, thank you so much for listening. We have enjoyed being with you for the last weeks, and we look forward to continuing to connect with you. Yeah, this is not goodbye. So we look forward just to walking with you as you keep your marriage strong. And if you run into some problems or challenges, we can't wait to walk with you to help keep your marriage strong in whatever way that you need us to. Okay, and the starting point is going to be the Focus on the Family website. So go there, check it out. And on behalf of Greg and Aaron and the entire team here, thanks for listening. Thank you.